Hey, it's Greg Hoffman from Take Command. And the best part about podcasts is they create a 25th hour in the day. Whenever I'm commuting, metro, car, even when I'm riding my bike around town, although in that case, one earphone only, safety kids, I'm always listening to podcasts. And this offseason, you can get all the insights, all the news, all the analysis, and Logan and I occasionally make a joke or two in the Take Command podcast on demand so it fits in to your busy schedule. Follow Take Command in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your pods. It's the most anticipated WNBA season in history. And you know what that means. Court is back in session. Welcome to Queens of the Court, an Odyssey original podcast. I'm your girl, Cheryl Swoop, And I'm Jordan Robinson. All WNBA season long, we'll be bringing you interviews with star athletes, analysis on your favorite teams, and lots of hot takes. Order, order in the court. Follow and listen to Queens of the Court on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman. Welcome into the Take Command podcast. I'm Craig Hoffman. That is Logan Paulson, 10-year NFL veteran. I covered the team for five years, host a daily radio show on the Team 980 if you want to check that out. And I will also mention that little old radio program that we do, Logan, here off the top because we're actually not going to do a super deep dive into all of the free agents that the commanders have agreed terms with so far. That is because we did it on the radio yesterday, and we put it as a bonus episode in the Take Command feed. So if you're an audio listener to the show, that information is already available to you. Uh, Most of you probably have already listened to it. Uh, If you are someone who watches our full episodes on 106.7 The Fan's YouTube page, you can click over to my YouTube page, youtube.com slash at Craig Hoffman, and that entire segment is available. So if you want the full breakdowns of what Cody Barton could be, what Andrew Wiley is going to be with the commanders in kind of more depth, we already have that available for you. So go check that out. Our feelings won't be hurt. And the beauty of an on-demand on-demand platform, Logan, and an on-demand product is we'll still be here when when they're done with that one. <laughs> right. Well, that's good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The only per- people that uh, are listening to this right now live are me, you, and our producer, Nick. Correct. So shout out to Nick. Uh, all right. Here's what we are going to do today on this episode of Take Command. We will dive into some of that and also kind of what are the biggest questions remaining, how that shapes the draft. We'll also take a look at some of the other moves in the NFC East and how the commanders are stacking up in the division let's start though with the coaching move logan and what that tells us about kind of the free agency moves and kind of where the team is headed john matsko is let go and we talked about this some on the radio show as well but matsko is let go uh, on the second day of free agency the timing seems pretty bizarre considering they had had a bunch of meetings at the combine with offensive linemen 19 of their 45 meetings at the at the combine were with o linemen matskow is is the guy leading a lot of those meetings Ultimately, uh, John Kime reports this morning that there's philosophical differences between he and what Eric Bieniemy uh, wants to run. What does that tell you about Matskow? Like when you look at what he was doing and, and some of the tape you've watched on Bieniemy, what does that tell you about what we should expect from the commanders this upcoming season related to anything offensive line play? I think of the one offensive staff position that's really hard to survive a coaching change. It's got to be the offensive line coach. And it's just, and it's not necessarily, it's just because like whenever a new OC comes in, like they do so much communicating with the offensive linemen, right? They, they, they're kind of this extension of the coordinator. So 
right when the enemy was hired, you're kind of like, like this doesn't look great for Matt Scow. It doesn't look great for the quarterback coach. It doesn't look great for Matt Scow. Just because those positions are, are positions that like they are the offense, right? So like when you go to a new place, the person that's kind of doing the protections, doing the run scheme, you know, building that identity is the offensive line coach, right? It's the offensive line coach and the guy that talks to the quarterback the most. Like those guys need to be in lockstep with the coordinator. So, um, you know, in terms of what, like being predictive, it's still a little bit up in the air, I think. But I do think one of the things when you watch Kansas City and then compare it to Washington, there was a level of detail, a sharpness, a crispness to the combinations and to the targeting of runs, which wasn't here. Now, is that Matzko's fault? Is that Scott's, Scott's fault? I think it's like it's an impossible thing to know, but I do think that that's something that I was like, that's going to need to change when the enemy comes here. Because when you look at the runs and how they do stuff, it, it's from Kansas City. There's a level of detail and crispness that is that wasn't here. And so either Moscow's got to change or the enemy's going to compromise himself. And if anybody's not going to com- compromise themselves, it's going to be Eric Bieniemy, right? So um, right. that was something that we- we've learned. One thing about EB, yeah, it's that. And so I think that that's good. And obviously, like you know, like we're seeing kind of the byproduct of that difference in identity. I think. And again, these are things that I'm speculating at. I don't have any inside information on this. This is just looking at the film. Differences in approach, differences in philosophy that I think could have caused some friction. And I think, you know, if you're Eric Bieniemy, like if I'm if I'm coming into this coordinator position, I want my O-line coach here. Right. I want that dude from Kansas City that that can communicate what I need to communicate because there's so much detail to that Kansas City offense with regards to the screen game, with regards to the run game, with regards to the RPO game. And that is the offensive line coach. So if that guy's not communicating with you, then or communicating the same message, then it doesn't even, it doesn't, you're, you're putting yourself behind the eight ball. So I think it's, it's a myriad of things. I think there's a little bit of, you know, philosophical difference in approach. I think it's just getting your offense in it's it's helpful to have that guy. Um, But ultimately, like, I I think this is the best move for the staff, quite frankly. So it's interesting though, that one, perhaps the favorite for the job is then Travell Wharton, who's the yeah. assistant offensive line coach, who's been with Carolina, with Ron, under Matsko. Obviously, was a legendary Carolina Panthers player uh, before Rivera got there. Uh, started in like 2004, I think, is when his career kicked off. Uh, I don't know how much he intersected with Ron. I think I think he kind of left, and then and maybe he came back. I think one year as a player with Ron, his second stint in Carolina, before ultimately retiring and becoming a coach, where he's again under Ron. And under Matzkow. So all that said, like there's a lot of Rivera, Matzkow, Rivera, Matzkow. How does he fit in? And why is, is the younger, less experienced coach, the better fit? Is he just more shapeable uh, in that way with the enemy coming in? I mean, I don't know if they made a definitive answer. About they haven't. Uh, right. Just Kime said that he's, he's certainly an option sure. uh, to stick around. And I, and I think, it, I think he deserves to be an option. I think, you know, again, like he's more shapeable. He's more familiar with the new, kind of the way the NFL game is going. I think that's always a part of it. Like there was something very traditional about the way Matt Scow coached and game plan for the offensive line. So I think having someone that's a little bit fresher is important. Someone that can learn a new offense from EB is important, but I, I really would not be surprised if like I've heard rumors that the assistant offensive line coach in Kansas city might be the guy next in line. And if, if I'm EB, I'm pulling very hard for that guy to come here. Just again, just because it helps you kind of convey a message helps you kind of convey an identity. And I think Travell Warden could still be the assistant offensive line coach. I think that's fine. Right. 
But I, I and think, it's often it's good to have some continuity. Yeah. That way you have a translation almost. Correct. And I think that, that that would be very helpful. But I do think you just you need somebody who can communicate this. And everyone's like, well, how hard is it to communicate? I can hear the comments already. It can be very challenging because it's it's not the scheme. When you look at across the NFL, the scheme is relatively the same. Like everyone runs outside zone. Everyone got, and everyone's like, well, West Coast versus, you know, Air Coriel. There's differences. There are differences. But if you look at Kyle's offense, for example, who's like about as West Coast as you can get, he runs Air Coriel concepts and vice versa. So it's like they've kind of blended into an amalgamation of the same thing. The thing that separates the offenses is the details in the coaching. So I want to make sure my O line knows exactly what I want them to know and how I want them to run it, and I need a voice in that room to get that done. So I think um, I think I'm looking for someone from Kansas City staff to come in and get that communicated, and I think because I think that puts EB in the best position to be successful. And if it's Travell right. Wharton, I think Travell Wharton's a very bright guy. I think he doesn't he'll do an excellent job if he is the O line coach, but I think he's going to have to work extra hard to kind of understand and get into EB's mind. And I just also want to say this real quick. Just because Matt Scott was let's get, let go for creative differences or whatever it is, the, the wording was, I don't think he's a bad old line coach, right? I don't think he's a bad guy. I don't think he's a bad person. I think this just wasn't the right fit for him. And I think it's important mm-hmm. to acknowledge that also. Hey, everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Definitely. Um, Also, we talked about the timing yesterday on the radio. To me, like I know you say that it's kind of been in the works, and it's it's. I mean, that's that's like a it's like a rumor. You know what I mean? Like you hear rumors, and like who did I? I mean, look, we've all we've all heard it, right? Since since you know, for all the reasons that you've said, I just think it's the kind of thing where they they land on the right result, which is better than landing on the wrong result. But why can't they get the timing right? And and that's that's been something that's happened. I think time and time again under Rivera where, you know, Landon Collins, the Buffalo nickel is like the most obvious, famous, if you will, infamous, whatever word you want to use example of that, where it's like, this was so obviously the solution. What are you doing waiting this out? And with Matsko, it just seemed like it wasn't the right fit. Okay. That's fine. Um, I understand that he's been with Ron a long time. There's a relationship there. Maybe they wanted to try and make it work, but at the end of the day, they went through the entire combine process without with with the wrong guy running the meetings or a guy who's not going to be here running a lot of that stuff and you know they get their they're set their free agency board and i know eb's got a huge huge influence and so maybe it doesn't matter that much but it's certainly not optimal and and i think in a year where you're trying to win you want as much to be optimal. I mean, no matter what, what you always want things to be as optimal as possible. And this just seems like a self-inflicted wound of non-optimization. Craig, we've been hanging out a lot because I think you, you cut me off at the pass. I was saying this isn't like a terrible thing, but you're right. You want this to be optimal, right? This is not an ideal thing. Like if I had my choice, you'd want the guy who's going to be your line coach in those meetings. Now, to calm fans down, they, they record these interviews. They have the film. It's all there for them. But you do want them to have some type of personal relationship. Now, let's just say, you know, hypothetically, this nameless Kansas City offensive line coach 
he has also gone through these interview processes, right? Does he get the same level of detail? Do they have the same 30 for 30? I have no idea, but it's, it's not, it's not a perfect situation. Right. And I think it's also important to acknowledge that at this point of the year, coaches while involved in the evaluation process are not, are not the deciding factors just yet. This is more of a scout centric thing. So while again, it's not an optimal situation, it's not a fatal situation. So yes, I would like the guy who's going to coach the line to be in these meetings 1000%. But I do think it's important to acknowledge that the people who set the meetings are not the O-line coach. He's interviewing them on the behalf of kind of the recommendation of the staff. Like when you go to the combine and you talk, not only this staff, but other staffs around the league, a lot of my O-line coach buddies are like, oh yeah, I haven't really watched anybody yet. Like I'm still working through some guys. Like I kind of skimmed this guy or, or whatever. You know, you're still, it's still early in the process for the coaches. So I think that that, that should make you feel somewhat better. But again, I want my coach to meet the guy that we're thinking about drafting and know that he can develop a relationship with him. Because this is a very interesting story, I think, because I was in um, one of my buddies who's, uh, he was, he's the uh, OCEO line coach in Miami. And he was saying like, I like the interview process because it lets me know, can I communicate with this guy? Is he my type of guy? And there's certain guys that aren't your type of guy. And it's important to know that going into the draft process. So, you know, ultimately, like, is that going to sway a team uh, from picking a guy? Maybe, but I think it is helpful for the coach, you know. So I do think it is significant, less than optimal, not fatal, but um, yeah, not, not an ideal situation. Yeah, uh, it could be a tiebreaker. You know, if you got two guys on the board and you feel like yeah. you can coach one up better than the other, like that's a pretty easy tiebreaker. Sure. So those things are important. Uh, by the way, Corey Mathai, uh, I'm sorry, Corey, if I'm mispronouncing your last name. Uh, he is the assistant offensive line coach in Kansas City. The uh, the guy who is the offensive line coach in Kansas City, he's got one of the best O-line biographies ever. His name is Andy Heck, and he's from Fargo, North Dakota. Oh, sick. Oh, who doesn't want Andy Heck from Fargo as their <laughs> offensive line coach? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's on. funny. It's funny. Like some old line coaches get like some buzz like around their name, like Callahan, Forrester, those types of guys. But, you know, you don't hear about this guy in Kansas City, but he's obviously done an excellent job. So good for him. Yeah, definitely. Uh, all right. Who? All right. I'm, I'm going to really sports radio this up for you as we, we look back a little bit before we kind of look at what, what we have moving ahead. Which signing that they've made so far? is the most impactful in 2023. So you got Wiley, Gates, yeah. uh, Barton, really. I, I'm not going to necessarily count Payne here, as, even though he's obviously yeah, uh, a pretty impactful. big freaking deal. Yeah. Uh, but of, of the new guys coming in, who's the most impactful in 2023? Well, you know, that's kind of an unknowable thing, but I think just based on the money, it's Don't Wiley. take the fun out of it, Logan. It's, it's Wiley, I would say, just because... Um, he's got paid the most money, so he's going to play. He's going to play right tackle probably, and if that doesn't work, he'll definitely play guard. So I think like that's he will play the most for sure. I think Gates is kind of a swing guy. I do think what's the guy, the linebacker's name? Bolton is that his name? Uh, Cody Barton. Barton, excuse me. Barton took me, took me a full twenty four hours to finally get his name down, but yeah. uh, I I've committed it to memory. Cody Barton. Cody Barton. I think Cody Barton does have probably. He's, he's the most intriguing to me because I think he's got traits that get you excited. Now he hasn't really put it all together, but I think um, Wiley's going to be the guy he's going to start at in some capacity. And let's say they end up drafting a tackle, like, you know, let's say it's in the first round, whatever it is, 
that's they're going to find a way to get him on the field because of that pay number. So he's, he'll be the most impactful uh, offseason acquisition. No, I agree with that. I think Barton's got a real chance to be very impactful, though. So just before we started yeah. recording this, uh, just for the record, because I, I hate doing this because podcasts are meant to be uh, a little more evergreen, uh, or at least last year, a couple days. And and the nature of free agency is we're going to hit publish and something dumb's going to happen and, <laughs> and half the things we say are not going to be relevant anymore. So it's, it's currently 9.48 a.m. on Wednesday, March 15th, for those that are keeping track. And about an hour ago, I guess, uh, Cole Holcomb signed with the Steelers mm-hmm. and Barton can come in and either play the mic, play the will. One of those two and Jamin will obviously play the other and he's got a chance to be pretty impactful for them. And he's going to have to win the job, uh, you know, and they'll probably draft a linebacker at some point in the draft. They've got a couple guys they brought back. So there, there's kind of a nice floor underneath kind of the David Mayo floor still exists. Um, you know, I think they brought back Milo Eifler as well. Yeah. Some guys that like flash in that final game, Khalid Hudson, um, is back and and can he bulk up and maybe be an impact at will if Jamin's playing Mike? So there's there's going to be competition. I would say none of it's spectacular at that linebacker spot, um, but guys like Levante David are still out there. So who knows? Right. Point being, Barton's got a chance. He was stuck behind Bobby Wagner in Seattle. He's shown some really nice flashes. And the question becomes if he and he was a top 100 pick. He was the 88th yeah. pick uh, in 2019. So. If he can get some reps underneath him, could he be really impactful? I still think the answer is pretty obvious, and it's Wiley in terms of the three guys. But right. Barton is a guy that people should like. Like I have committed to, and like Logan is now committed to, commit the name to memory. He's gonna he's gonna play. Uh, he's gonna be a name that that you want to remember and know as you move into the spring. And I also just want to point out, just from a team building standpoint, I think that's a good process. Getting a guy at a good number, kind of a prove it deal, could play in a bigger role if you need him to. And like you said, the upside's very, very high. Also think it's important to acknowledge that this draft class, not great for linebackers. Like I said, I think I, on, the, on the bonus episode, I think there's five, six guys that have some high upside, but in terms of consistent, like blue chip kind of linebacker guys, I think there's probably two. And I don't think Washington's going to take them where those guys are going to go. So they're going to have to do a little bit bargain bin shopping. It's kind of our linebacker group kind of feels like the land of misfit toys a little bit. But unlike in previous years where you've been with a Bostic, where you've been with a Mayo, guys who are kind of role-playing football players who are who are kind of capped in terms of ceiling. Like, I love Mayo, but he's you know never going to be – he can never grow into something more because that's kind of who he is. I think this, this gentleman uh, from Seattle can do more. And I think that is somewhat exciting. Now, his floor is probably lower than Mayo's. But like you said, Mayo's on the roster. So if it goes bad, you have Mayo. And like I think that's a fine stopgap piece. But the ceiling for this guy is significantly higher, I feel, just watching this film from last year.